Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another fabulous episode of the Do the Damn Thing podcast. I'm so excited to be bringing you guys yet another fabulous guest. Today, I am joined by Debbie Gisoni, is a best-selling author, wellness expert, media host, and corporate advisor who inspires people to make simple changes that radically improve their self-awareness, well-being, and success. Debbie is the creator of Self Power Now, digital courses which are designed to address and balance all realms of life, mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional. She has written three books, The Goddess of Happiness, A Down-to-Earth Guide for Heavenly Balance and Bliss, Vita's Will, Real Life Lessons About Life, Death, and Moving On, and Note to Self, Love. She has addressed audiences around the world from corporate execs to women groups to teens. In 2014, she was inducted into the Happiness Hall of Fame, which, side note, we need to hear more about that. That sounds awesome. (laughs) An organization that recognizes special people who have advanced the cause of happiness throughout the world. You guys, I'm so excited to have Debbie on. I have yet to have a guest expert, surprisingly on, who can talk about grief alongside with me. I'm really excited to have you on, Debbie. Introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. Well, I don't know what else to say. You you, you wrote read everything from my bio there, <laughs> except let's see, let's go to some fun stuff. Um, I'm a big foodie. I'm Italian. Oh, wow. I'm originally from New York. I live in Silicon Valley, California now, and I have two adorable huskies which are Ah. husky number six and seven for my my husband and me and it's i don't know you know when this is going to air but we're we're all kind of coming off of a holiday weekend Mm -hmm. here so um yeah let's have some fun absolutely well i'm so excited to have you debbie and also two huskies those were my dream dogs when i was a child so uh (laughs) i need to see pictures of them because i'm sure they're absolutely beautiful Yes, they they are, and very hairy. (laughs) Yes, yes, that is the only uh, big thing. But I'm so excited to have you on today uh, to talk about grief and wellness and turning grief into purpose. As most people who listen to the Do the Damn Thing podcast know, that is kind of the entire backstory behind my brand, my wellness journey, my healing journey, uh, and how I've created the LaRue brand into a all-encompassing wellness venue where you can come for lifestyle, entrepreneurship, career, etc. So I'm so excited to have you on to speak about your story and how you've gotten to where you are today and the career path that you've followed. So I would love to just dive in and hear about your personal grief story and what that's meant for you and how that's transformed your life. Sure. Well, way back in the day, I had a corporate career in the magazine publishing industry for the high-tech industry. And that was a great career for me. I was a business major and I was running multi-million dollar publications with P&L responsibility. I was a pretty head honcho (laughs) in my early days. And, you know, that was in my 20s and early 30s and pretty high up on the totem pole. And it seemed like, you know, everything was exactly the way I wanted my life to go in terms of career and, and, um, and finances. And I had a big title and I was making a lot of money and I had stock options and everything. So on that side, my life was just going just perfectly. But then, as you know, we have a personal life. And on the personal side, for a portion of that time, my family was just falling apart, literally uh, dying off. Uh, First, Mm -hmm. my mother got a brain tumor that Mm -hmm. left her permanently disabled in need of uh, 24-7 care after an operation that could not remove all of it. So that was um, that was very very challenging for the rest of the family. Then my younger sister, who was 23 at the time, took her own life, and then uh, shortly after that, my father was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which is a form of brain of uh, bone cancer, mm-hmm. very painful, and he. Um, He was diagnosed with that. And then my aunt that I lived with when I had moved out to California from uh, New York um, developed breast cancer. And all four of those people, my my mother, my father, my aunt, and my sister all died in a four-year period of time consecutively. For consecutive years, I mean, and at the time I was working in the corporate market and I was climbing the corporate ladder Mm -hmm. and everything just, you know, I had these these two lives, these two separate Mm -hmm. lives, one that was very successful that I can control and Mm -hmm. one that was going down the tubes that I had no control over. Mm -hmm. And so even after all those deaths, I continued to work and, you know, get promoted and make more money Mm -hmm. and whatnot. 
until there came a point where I just started spiraling into Mm -hmm. a lot of like stress, negative energy, didn't Mm want to do what I was doing anymore, didn't Mm -hmm. like what was happening in corporate, um, didn't feel like my life had any meaning anymore. And I just left. I decided to leave my corporate career Mm -hmm. and I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I knew that I didn't want to be in that role anymore, even though it had served me really well. And I loved what I did for 15, about 15 to 18 years. Mm -hmm. I felt like there was something more that I needed to explore something more, both within myself and outside of myself to figure out what was the next step for me in life. And could I make, could I make a difference in both my life and the lives of others? But I really didn't know what I was going to do. I just, I just left cold Turkey without having any plan at mm-hmm. all. <laughs> wow. Well, that is a uh, that is quite the story. First, thank you so much for being willing to share and, you know, inviting us all into your your story because that is uh it's as I know, very very personal, but when you get to a point where it's something that empowers you and and you know that sharing your story empowers others, it's just such a meaningful thing to be a part of. So thank you so much first. And I'm You're welcome. so sorry about all of the loss that you've experienced and the difficulty of that journey. But I want to uh, invite the listeners to really think about their own grief journey when, when other people share because even hearing you say all those things, it, it's it's amazing how simultaneously I can sit here and, and hear your story and think about how completely different our experiences are, but how utterly and scary similar the yes. emotional journey is and how how interesting it is to hear how similar the process can be. I mean, I went through something so similar where I, I experienced so much in a, about a year and a half period of time and then it took me several years for it to mm-hmm. really start to hit me because I had mm-hmm. that same kind of success versus a lack, very lack thereof. So I was in college when everything happened and that that the college experience is what was so able and willing to distract me from the grief that yes. I wasn't willing yeah. to really admit to yet or wasn't yes. really t- willing to feel yet. So it took me years until I had graduated from college for me to realize, oh, hey, there there might be something going on right here. And it's time for me to figure that out. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we think we have so much control over life, but the universe plans everything just perfectly mm-hmm. because you probably didn't want to get through that during your college years, right? Exactly. And I probably yeah. needed a, sm- a few more years in my corporate career to build up mm-hmm. the funds to be able to just mm-hmm. be be able to leave. But at some point, you just know it's right. You know that you need a pivot and it, mm-hmm. it's exactly right. And for me, it was, you know, I was getting, I traveled a lot for work. I was getting sick all the time. And mm-hmm. like I said, things just didn't seem like they had any meaning. And when I did leave, I, I didn't think I was going to do anything that I'm doing now at mm-hmm. all. Basically, I said, you know, I'm just going to follow my bliss. I love food. I love cooking. Everyone always asks me for recipes. I'm going to write an Italian cookbook. Well, that did not happen. All <laughs> I'm still thinking it's going to be on my bucket list at some point during my life. But what ended up happening is I, I went into that grief. Like you said, yeah. I all of a sudden that grief came from mm-hmm. years back. Yeah. And I realized, wow, I have not processed this. And I've always mm-hmm. been a writer. And then all of a sudden, the entire story of this of those four years, and actually it was 10 years because my mother was sick for, um, for earlier than that. Mm-hmm. This 10-year period of time in my life where it was, I don't even know how the heck I got through it mm-hmm. and then also had this corporate career at the same time, mm-hmm. successful cor- corporate career. And it all came gushing back and I ended mm-hmm. up putting that story down on paper Um and I, I was using paper back then. Yeah. I mean, not that it was so long ago, but it's just my process. I like to yeah, write, you know, absolutely. I like to write things out, you know, like almost mm-hmm. like you're journaling, right? And realizing that, wow, this is a book. Um, this is a book about, you know, and, and as you said, everyone thinks that their story is so unique, but actually there's so many similarities mm-hmm. in this process. This, yeah. You know, the... The story might be a little bit different, but the process and, and the feelings and the emotions are all mm-hmm. the same. You know, people that anybody who's ever dealt with, you know, suicide ha- mm-hmm. has the same kind of emotions that 
I felt um, dealing with my sister's ending of her life. And I felt like as I was writing the story, I also realized that I had a lot of my own coping mechanisms that could mm-hmm. help maybe other people, a lot of life lessons, probably the biggest life lessons ever that I've learned in my life that could help mm-hmm. other people. And I thought, well, if I wrote this book and, you know, five people buy it, you know, mm-hmm. it would be worth it because yeah, absolutely. A, it's, it's a grieving process for me. It was very cathartic mm-hmm. to write it. Yep. And the first book was called Vita's Will, Real Life Lessons About Life, Death, and Moving On. And Vita is the name of my mother. It means I life, figured. ironically, yes. in Italian. <laughs> yep. Um and I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to write this for myself. I have the time. I have the skills. And mm-hmm. and I just published that book. And um, that was a long time ago. I mean, that was back in the early 2000s. And it's still out there and still helping people. And I'm really proud of that. Yeah. And that launched a whole be. new career. It yeah. launched a whole new career, writing yeah. books and, and then getting into uh, self, self-help, self-empowerment, mm-hmm. self-development then getting my certification in hypnotherapy and then getting my certification in life coaching. Mm-hmm. And and it also helped my business uh, clients as well because, you know, we all need personal growth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I definitely yeah. want to dive into the career as it is now and, and the transitions that you made. But before we do that, I would love to hear a little bit more. I want to hear about the either a specific moment or the kind of period of your life where talking about the transition period of leaving corporate and just feeling, I want to talk about that knowing that you had and like that feeling of, Mm. okay, the grief is coming up. This isn't meant for me anymore. You said you had mentioned that you were getting sick all the time and the Mm -hmm. alignment just wasn't there anymore. I want to hear more about that period of your life and how, how you felt called to make that transition. What, what felt right? What felt scary about it? Mm -hmm. Uh, Just kind of all, all those details. Yeah. Well, you know, being um, a corporate business person, I was very much in my head most Mm -hmm. of my career as most Mm -hmm. of us are. And I think part of that is when you're in your head a lot, you sort of squash your soul, you squash your spirit. Mm -hmm. And I was starting to feel like I was losing myself in that corporate environment. I was not, um, because I didn't bring any of the grief, I didn't bring any of the stories. Mm -hmm. I obviously couldn't talk about Mm -hmm. what was going on in my family in a corporate board meeting. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it just, I had these like almost two separate parallel lives. Yeah. And eventually that just, it got to be too much. Like I had Mm -hmm. to somehow merge that together because I was two different, completely different people. And as I said, I was getting sick a lot. Now I didn't know, oh, I haven't grieved. That wasn't the first thing that came to mind. I just knew something was off. Something Mm -hmm. was wrong. I couldn't, I, I couldn't feel my spirit anymore. I, I didn't have the happiness that I normally had. I wasn't very positive as I normally was. So I just knew that I had to get off that treadmill Mm -hmm. in order to figure out how to fix what was going on. And that's why. And I was elated to jump off. And to tell you the truth, once I made that decision, like at that time, once it kind of clicked in, there was no going back. Like I didn't say, oh, maybe I should stay or whatever. Mm -hmm. And of course, a lot of people in my corporate environment tried to convince me mm-hmm. to stay. Like they thought I was crazy. Like, why yeah. would she leave? She's at the top of her game, you know? Mm-hmm. And they thought something's wrong, you know? But I just knew in my heart, it's it's listening to your heart instead of your head. I just knew in my heart that it was the right thing to do. And I see that your dog agrees with me. <laughs> Yes, Bowie is very vocal, which uh, most podcast <laughs> listeners of this of this podcast know. But yes, as soon as I, I said heart, he just barked. Well. Yeah, <laughs> she said, "Oh yes, heart." I'm I'm there. I bark. That is amazing, and I'm I feel very aligned to that um, that kind of journey as well because I think something that I realized as I was kind of entering the phase of realizing how consuming my grief truly was whether or not I was recognizing it or not once I ushered in that era of okay it's time to stop job hunting it's time to stop and meanwhile for me this journey had definitely the pro of of beginning during COVID so the whole world was on pause let alone just me kind of hitting the pause button but 
it was a very similar experience of once I made the decision to start healing, to start addressing, to Mm -hmm. kind of leave the job search and, and other things behind for a moment while I dealt with this, it was a very kind of visceral reaction as well of there was no going back. I knew that this is what I would, I needed to do to move the rest of my life forward, to Mm -hmm. make any sort of progress to, to become more aligned again with, like you said, like the joys and positivity of, of who I used Mm -hmm. to be and who I once was. Once I began and made that choice, it was a very easy decision to keep making no matter how difficult it felt, no matter how, consuming the grief for the emotions felt at, at, at that time um, and during those yeah. days. Well, I'll tell you that the operative word you said was stop. And I think that's the most important thing mm-hmm. for your listeners when, you, and it comes back to the, the original question you asked me about, you know, how did you decide to, you know, delve into the grief? We, you know, we know when you know something's wrong mm-hmm. or off, or not aligned, you kind of mm-hmm. know, you listen to your heart, but you yeah. don't always know what it is. So I didn't know, well, I have to go mm-hmm. back into the grief yeah. pool, you know, to fix this or whatnot. But you can't even get to that point. You can't know what's wrong yep, until absolutely. you stop. For me, I had mm-hmm. to stop completely and leave behind um, because I had the kind of career where there was no, there was no like fitting in a yeah. little piece of that Mm -hmm. anywhere it was all or nothing uh that doesn't have to happen to everybody but you have to give yourself some time Mm -hmm. some time to just shut out the thoughts in your mind and and a lot of people had that you know during covid as you mentioned right you have to give you have to have the quiet time where you don't have anything Mm -hmm. on your calendar where you don't have to do anything you don't have to say anything so that you can look within and figure out what is it that your soul is asking? What is it that your spirit is asking? Where do you need to be? What do you need to focus on right now? And that's mm-hmm. when the answers will come. The answers are not going to come unless you stop and do some self-reflection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. And, and something that's interesting too, when you bring that up, I use, I think back to a, a version of me who is still in, in the midst of all of that grief and in the midst of going through a lot of trauma. And when I was so young, I, if someone had said that to me, I would have gotten angry. I would have fought you and said like, no, I have nothing to heal or I have no time for this. I have no idea what you're talking about. And I think <laughs> a lot of us feel like it's so much easier, which it is. It's so much easier to just fight it and say, I don't have time. My job is too busy. I'm too busy with school or I'm too busy with kids or whatever it is. Well, there's plenty of distractions that you could, you know, that you can, you know, hang on to. I mean, it's the same thing with people trying to get onto an exercise program. Like, I don't have time. Mm -hmm. I don't have time. You have to make the time. And and in this case, you have to make the time to be quiet, right? Mm -hmm. To be quiet and and be in that nothingness where you can actually go within and figure out what is the next step. And it was in during that time where I was in the nothingness that I started, you know, this whole book, this whole first book started pouring out of me. And believe me, I was never going to think, I never thought in a million years I'd be writing a book on death and dying and illness and Mm -hmm. whatnot, but that's what came out. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people can too feel very intimidated by this idea of going within, but that, I think that, I don't think I know that that means something so different for everybody. It doesn't necessarily mean meditation or therapy or whatever it is. I think Mm -hmm. just like you said, kind of quieting that noise and allowing those more disruptive, scary thoughts to come in and acknowledge them and and Mm -hmm. ask yourself, why is this here? Why do I feel this way? And just starting to process those emotions is absolutely the first step. And, And that doesn't require spending any money it doesn't require quitting your job and and taking a sabbatical or whatever it is like it just requires you being vulnerable and willing to to have that time and give that time to yourself whether you start with five minutes a day and or whatever just as as long as you're able to start processing and letting those thoughts come to the surface and acknowledging them i think is the is the first step to really processing a lot of deep deep uh, meaningful, scary emotions. Yeah, and it's called taking care of yourself. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's, sure it's the most important sure thing is. you can do for yourself. <laughs> yes, it absolutely <laughs> is. 
and I want to I want to talk more about now the the happier side of things. <laughs> so I I would love to hear about in the midst of you've kind of already touched on this, but I would love to dive into it a little bit more. So you started journaling, you started processing your thoughts via you know writing down mm-hmm. on a piece of paper, and slowly you you realized it was morphing into a book that you could use to help other people. Mm-hmm. What was that larger transition process for you, where you realized that your grief, your journey, your experiences, your emotions, you wanted to not just turn them into a book now, but now you have a full-fledged business where you do speaking events and, and you create courses and, mm-hmm. you, and you have a whole business centered around your ability to having processed your grief and now and now empowering others to do the same. How did that transition mm-hmm. happen for sure. you? Sure. Um, well, I want to say one thing is that in corporate, I, I always knew if I did A plus B, I could get to C and there was always a plan. Mm-hmm. And what happened when I left corporate and one of the biggest lessons I had to learn was ditch the plan <laughs> because, <Yeah. laughs> you know, um, A, I didn't plan on writing a book on death and dying and it just sort of happened. Then as women that I knew in business heard about this book, they started asking me to speak at women's groups, women business groups, especially because I left my corporate career and they thought, well, that might Mm be, um, something that other women might be interested in hearing. How did you do that? Why Mm -hmm. did you do it? This kind of thing. So things just kind of naturally happened. And the next book that I wrote on happiness um, really came as a result of I was, you know, I was out promoting Vita's will and, and I would see myself on the on TV and they would put under my name, Debbie Gisoni, death and dying expert. And I was like, oh my God, I don't want to be the death and dying expert. I hate that. Oh my gosh. I want to be the happiness person. (laughs) So then I started writing this column, a blog on happiness. And then that ended up being the second book because I was like, the whole point of this is to find happiness despite Mm the death and dying mm-hmm. and everything else. Yes, yeah. you learn a lot from death and dying, but I think the biggest lesson you learn is the that there is light at the end of the tunnel no matter what you're, yes. what you're going through. And it, it doesn't yes. have to be at the end of the tunnel. It could be in the tunnel. It's just how yeah. you perceive things. So then I start writing about happiness. And then um, after, and, and all these books um, that I wrote, it's not like I decided, they just sort of you know, flowed through. It, I was just open. Mm-hmm. At that point, I had mm-hmm. practiced enough meditation. I could be with myself. I was open to ideas. I was open to creativity. Things just, f- you know, were flowing, you know, they, they just flow. Mm-hmm. And then the third book, it, which is actually um, a fictional book, but it's a story about self-love, came as a result of, you know, doing a lot of like research and and speaking about happiness, and I realized one of the most important things um, to be happy in this world is to really love yourself. And that book mm-hmm. just kind of channeled in, you know, over you know several months in the middle of the night, and the whole story developed out of that. And that was called Note to Self Love, but it has a lot of the same messages as the other books. And really, there's an overarching theme here, and that's self-empowerment. And what's funny mm-hmm. is, I was just talking to a friend and he, that is in like a, a completely different career that he had before, and he's like, it's amazing how I realize what I'm doing now, really everything I did led up to this. You know, you don't, you don't, you can't put the dots together as they're being put together. But after the Mm -hmm. fact, you're like, oh yeah, because then I think, wow, what did I really love in my corporate job? And that was helping people succeed, helping people Mm -hmm. um, overcome their limitations, helping them feel good about Mm -hmm. themselves. Because if they succeeded, then my magazine succeeded and then we had more profits and we had more sales and all that stuff and and bringing people together and connecting them. So I realized I've been doing this all my life on the business side. Mm -hmm. Now I'm just doing it in a different kind of a different platform really. Um, So it was skill sets that I've been developing for years and years and years to help people um, basically overcome challenges and to feel self-empowered. It's all about empowerment, right? 
Yeah, mm. absolutely. That's amazing. And that's so funny to hear that story about the TV <laughs> and seeing the death and dying expert. Because I would have a, the same stark reaction of, oh my God, no, that doesn't oh sound right. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. So not me. That's... Like anybody who knows me in my life would be like, oh my God. Because I'm always, you know, positive and happy and cheery. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's a great story and, and definitely a, a fantastic transition. And to hear, it sounds like so many of the stories I get to hear with other, you know, fellow entrepreneurs that, like you said, and there's, a, I cannot seem to remember who said this quote, but there is a famous quote similar to what you just said of, you cannot connect the dots looking back, but as you move forward, like it's very obvious how they're all interconnected. And it's amazing how the universe can lead us on such a powerful path. And, and at times, and I think everyone goes through this, this feeling, you know, when we're experiencing the, the grief, when we're experiencing the traumas that, that cause the grief, it can feel so victimizing. Why me? Why is this happening to me? And it, it's so, I think, honestly, mm-hmm. the, oh, the, yes, the victim absolutely. mentality is one of the hardest emotions to come out of in the grief is is the feeling like this was caused to hurt you. This was something that happened to put you into pain. And it can be very hard to yes, pull yourself out of yes. that. But in doing what we've done and turning our grief and turning our experiences into so much purpose and then even taking that a step further and helping other people find that purpose and, and find that self-empowerment is such an incredible way to process grief because not only have we, and, and continue to, of course, throughout our whole lives, process this grief and process these emotions, but in doing so, we've created such a safe space for ourselves and for the, the people that we get to work with in understanding that when grief does come up, it's okay to to have those really harsh reactions it's okay to feel really angry it's okay to feel really victimized and in acknowledging that and kind of going back to the very beginning of our conversation Mm -hmm. in acknowledging that and and seeing that we create more empowerment for ourselves because we're able to acknowledge those emotions and then keep moving forward Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's you're right it is okay as long as you can move on from them you have to process that and move on from those emotions and that's extremely important yeah, and it seems like your way of, of processing and moving on has been so much writing, which is so amazing. <laughs> yeah, and writing is my thing. I mean, someone else could, you know, could be meditative walking or mm-hmm. being in nature, as yeah. you mentioned. It doesn't, being alone or being self-reflective doesn't have to be meditation. It mm-hmm. could just be um, listening to music. It could be yeah. anything that quiets your mind and the thoughts in your mind. But, you know, you have choices. We all have free will in life and you can decide to wallow in self-pity and be the victim the rest of your mm-hmm. life if that's a Absolutely. comfortable place for you. And some people, for some people, that is a comfortable place, mm-hmm. but I can tell you now it's not a happy place. That's no, for sure. Yep. <laughs> I'd rather go to the happy place yeah. and get to a place where, okay, this happened. Um, what can I, what positive elements can I find from mm-hmm. this? And there were a lot, I mean, looking, you know, looking back on when I was writing the books, there were a lot of positive things Mm -hmm. that came out of that and a lot of life lessons and how to, how do you use that? I mean, and even if I didn't write the book for other people, it would have been some, you know, things, lessons that I learned for myself. I'm a totally different, you're a totally different person after you Mm -hmm. go through that. And grief, by the way, doesn't have to mean, um, loss of life as you know, right? Grief comes in lots of different forms. Mm -hmm. It comes in bad news. It comes Mm -hmm. in financial stress. It comes in, you know, relationship breakups. Mm -hmm. It comes in moves, you know, physical moves. So there's grieving all the time that Mm -hmm. we do in life and it doesn't always have to be from, from death. So so the concepts of the, the tools, the coping mm-hmm. mechanisms, the tools to get beyond that and to get to the next step, kind of like to re, I call it like to reboot yourself to the mm-hmm. next step, are all still the same. It's, it doesn't matter what kind of challenge you're going through. Although mm-hmm. I feel like grief is probably one of the biggest challenges people deal Absolutely. with in life. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, I would love to talk more about what you're doing now, because a lot Mm -hmm. of the time on this podcast, as an entrepreneur, as someone who 
has hardly ever worked in a corporate environment. My entire, you know, persona brand is all built on entrepreneurship. But I do know that there are a lot of listeners that come in a corporate environment, are working in corporate, love their corporate job, feel very Mm -hmm. aligned with it, but also experience the same things about life. So I would love to hear what your advice is or what actionable steps people can take who do work in a corporate environment who perhaps don't have the same uh, freedom of time and perhaps mm-hmm. have more restrictions on them based on like schedule and and things like that, have bosses they report to, et cetera. How yeah. do you suggest people who are in that environment process grief, work through grief? How And beyond grief, how do you advise people who work in corporate to live a – wellness, self-empowerment driven lifestyle? Well, first and foremost, you have to under, you have to want to put yourself first and take care mm-hmm. of yourself. Yeah. So priority, that, that's the priority, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that you need to put yourself first. So once you've made that decision that you are going to carve out some time, you know, whatever that is you're going to do with that time, and I can give you some examples, then you can start healing. Then you can start your healing process. So um, there are so many, you know, mental health uh, apps, programs, people that can help you if you are really going down um, a spiral where you think you can't get out. And that's first and foremost to recognize how much help do you really need. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, um, out of all those four deaths, my sister committing suicide was, and it came out of left field. It wasn't like she was someone that had attempted or whatever. It was a total, total surprise to the whole family. Mm -hmm. So for me, even when I was in corporate, I recognized that I need help getting Mm -hmm. over that because there was a lot of guilt around that, like, what can I've done? What could I've seen? Why did this happen? You know, seeing my parents just devastated, whatnot. So I immediately went to a grief counselor um, when that, about a month after that happened, because I knew that I was, I couldn't get myself out of that. Mm -hmm. I I just could not, no matter what tool, book I read, whatever. And I saw a counselor for a couple of months that helped me work through a lot of that. And that was invaluable. And I was mm-hmm. still working in corporate then, but I recognized I needed, I needed help. So you need to understand what kind of help you might need. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, sometimes people just need some coping skills mm-hmm. and some um, introspective and, and ways to do reflection and exercises and things like that. And that's why, you know, things like books and online courses, that's why I wrote um, during COVID, I wrote my online courses. Um, there are four online courses, be happy, be healthy, be, um, peaceful and be Zen, be Zen and be loved, which are probably the four things most people want out of life. And they want power to control those things. However, it's also hard when they're going through challenges. So those courses are a way and they're self-directed. So people could take them whenever they want, get on them, get them off, get off them, et cetera. There's four different ones where you could take all four. And there's six about six weeks of learning all together, but but they're 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 set up in a way where if you have a corporate job, mm-hmm. it's not a lot of time. It's five mm-hmm. minutes of reading, five minutes of exercise, and it's just something to think about and just kind of get into a routine of okay, let me go back to my notes, or if you journal, let me go back to my journal. Spend five minutes a day, fifteen minutes a day on doing something that nurtures your soul that's outside of your corporate job. I mean, I don't care how busy you are. I mean, I was, you know, extremely busy and I traveled a lot, but I always made time to exercise. Even, you know, before that, all the grief started happening. I always made time to exercise, which also helps you ground, helps you overcome challenges, helps you feel better about yourself. I always made time to eat right, you know, so exercising and eating right is also taking care of yourself. That's also Mm -hmm. part of that journey. And I made time, you know, to go to therapy when I thought I needed it. And then when I, you know, left, I created these other products. So Mm. there's a lot you can do when you're in corporate and, you know, talk to people, talk to Mm -hmm. friends, have your support, you know, have you, have your, your tribe, right? You need a tribe. Yeah. You can't keep it bottled up. Yeah. No, no. And that's, (laughs) that's the, that's the hardest thing too, I think is, is realizing you know, for myself, the the bottling up, the keeping it all inside, the not talking about it. And then, 
you know, like you just mentioned, having having people to go to. I had that group when all my grief was happening and people were asking mm-hmm. me, genuinely asking me, how are you doing? And I just, <clears throat> I lied. You clammed so, up. Yeah. So deeply. Yeah. And I pretended I was fine. And because you didn't want to feel it. Nobody wants to feel that hurt. Exactly. You have exactly. to at least feel it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, as someone who was so young, living in Manhattan, going to college, like, in in theory, this I had this storybook life that you know so many people dream of, and I got yeah. to go to this amazing school in this amazing city, and I kept using that as a way to like kind of feed my my conscious and subconscious mind of saying like no 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 you actually do have this amazing life like all of that's behind you is already <laughs> done like there's nothing you can do about it you can't bring your brother back to life like just let it go you're right. fine you have this amazing life just just cl- I clung onto that so deeply. But I think yes. something that you mentioned that is so, so important that I've stressed so many times too is is nurturing your soul, doing the things that feel so aligned to you, no matter what that feels like. And that can be such a cathartic release as well of, of processing grief, even if you're not sitting there consciously thinking about your grief or your trauma or whatever absolutely, it is. Absolutely, absolutely. And for many people, and I think, well, actually not many people, I think all people, we're, we're all very, very creative beings, even mm-hmm. if we don't yes. feel like we're creative. I don't care if you're an accountant and all you work <laughs> with is numbers all day. Yeah. There is some sort of creative outlet for you mm-hmm. that feeds your soul. You may absolutely. not have figured out what that was, or maybe it's something you used to do as a child. But if you can latch on to that again, whether it's, you know, painting or drawing or cooking or whatever that is, that's not your job, (laughs) you know, that's not your normal job. Those creative outlets really put you in a space where you nurture your spirit, you nurture your soul. And they also get get you in a space. Think about things that you like to do where um, time, you know, just goes and Mm -hmm. you you don't even know it, you know, it's like, oh my Mm -hmm. God, a whole, you know, hour went by and you were just like, you didn't even realize that you were just so deep involved in some sort of creative process, whether Mm -hmm. that's writing or like I said, anything, um, could be horseback riding. I don't know, whatever that is for you or for the listener, um, to take you out of your normal grind, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's, you know, your normal everyday thoughts, you need that space and time to do that. Yeah, absolutely. This actually really um, is very aligned with a conversation I had with the most recent podcast guest. Her name was Zoe, and she came on. Uh, she's a nervous system regulation coach and therapist. And her and I had a very interesting conversation about how I hadn't really thought of processing grief or processing any sort of, quote, negative emotion by doing so in a way of your body first and your mind second. So not even thinking about the grief, not even thinking about the trauma. So this goes to say like just how you were mentioning doing something that feels just super aligned with you no matter what it is, whether it's uh, something to do with movement or journaling for you or whatever it f- whatever feels cathartic and therapeutic. Even if you're not actively thinking about the grief, doing something that feels intentional feels empowering, mm-hmm. feels aligned to you, in in turn does heal and begins to start healing things like that in your life. Mm-hmm. If you're someone who is, like you said, doing the grind, waking up, going to work, coming home, cooking dinner, watching TV, and going to sleep, and washing, rinsing, and repeating every single day, and not mm-hmm. incorporating things that are intentional into your lifestyle, and feel intentional, and feel aligned, and feel therapeutic, like you said, things that allow that time to pass without even noticing. If you are not doing those things, you are not healing. You are not present. You are not being intentional with your life and your time. So incorporating those things, whether it's something very direct like therapy or like working with a coach or like taking your courses and doing things that are like you're sitting down and thinking, okay, I'm actively addressing these emotions right now. Like, let's dive mm-hmm, into this. Mm-hmm. Whether it's that direct or something very indirect, either way, incorporating those things into your into your habits and into your daily lifestyle is what triggers that healing process to begin, is what allows that space and time to come in. Whether you're 
doing something that isn't thinking about it, like going to a yoga class, and then the subconscious mind starts to bring up those those traumas and those experiences and those those thoughts, and you start to in turn heal it by way of doing whatever you're doing. That is something that's so empowering and so incredible. It's such an easy tool for everyone to utilize because we don't have to dive right into the emotions directly if that's not something we're comfortable with yet. Right. And you have to allow yourself to do that because a lot mm-hmm. of people feel guilty. They feel like they don't deserve yeah. mm-hmm. to spend that time on themselves. They feel like yeah. they don't deserve to have fun, especially if things are going really bad or they're take. you know, some people are taking care of, you know, sick family members or mm-hmm. dying family members. And yeah. they feel like, how could I go out and horseback ride when this person mm-hmm. is you know, yeah. dying on their deathbed? Yeah. That, that's the reason why you should. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 100%. You have to have fun. You have to, I mean, I can't stress the, um, the importance of humor mm-hmm. in your life when, when things are, when things are the worst they possibly can, you have got to find some humorous moments. Even if you have to watch a rom-com or something, you've mm-hmm. got to be able to laugh and you've got to mm-hmm. be able to laugh at little things, no matter how bad the, maybe the big situation can be. And I'll, I'll give you a great example of this. So my mother, um, who was disabled for 10 years, mm-hmm. most of that time was on a respirator in a hospital because she had lung damage from the brain tumor and all kinds of stuff. And when she was on at those times when she was on a respirator, she couldn't speak, right? Because you've got the tube in your throat and the machine pumping, right? Pumping because mm-hmm. she couldn't breathe on her own. And the nurses would bring, um, because we needed to communicate with her, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and the nurses brought her this alphabet board, right? They had all the, num- <laughs> all the alphabets on it. Now, if you knew my mother, you'd know that um, she was an Italian immigrant. She didn't really write well in English and we didn't really know Italian. They never taught us. And so having her trying to communicate in like a word or sentence from the alphabet board was like, it was an hysterical process, hysterical. We would laugh and you can see from her eyes, she was laughing too, like trying to get the message across. And Mm -hmm. we were like, it was like playing a game, you know, like password or something. And you think, okay, here's this person. We don't know if she's ever going to get off the respirator this time, if she's get through the pneumonia or whatever she had. We don't know how long she's going to live. Our whole lives have been turned upside down by, you know, her being in this state and losing my sister. Mm-hmm. And yet we found times like that to laugh. Yeah. And that was so, so important. Yeah. I have a very similar notion and uh, story. I don't know that I've ever shared this story on, I know I have it on this podcast, but I I don't think a lot of my friends even know about the story. But after my brother had passed away, I was the one to plan his funeral because my parents just simply couldn't. Um, They were just too distraught. So I I planned the whole funeral and we did a, we called it a celebration of life and we did it at a like big, uh, I think it was like at the time, like a big yacht club um, where I'm Mm -hmm. from. And there was, you know, just like all funerals, so many people show up in support of like the the people who have lost someone. So a lot of people were like uh, colleagues of my mom's, family, friends, people who didn't even perhaps like know my brother personally. Some of them were like friends of mine who never met my brother, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So we're in this massive hall full of probably around 200 people. And I am at the front speaking, thanking everybody for coming. I'm in the middle of talking. And this woman bursted into the funeral and started belligerently screaming, like, whose car is parked there? Started cursing, (laughs) saying her car was blocked in. She's like, it says in memorial of Josh, so I know it's someone here. And everyone was just speechless, absolutely (laughs) flabbergasted that this woman, who is fully aware that there's this is literally a funeral happening, is barging in asking about her car instead of like, politely cornering someone and saying hey so sorry this is happening but my car is like blocked in (laughs) so i i was just at a loss like there were no words coming out of my mouth and thankfully two of my brother's friends escorted her out very quickly and i'm standing at the front podium still staring at the door 
And someone in front says, Lauren, are you speechless? And I'm looking and I'm looking at all of these faces of people. And so many people just bursted into laughter. And then I started <laughs> laughing. And then somehow yeah. my parents started laughing. And it was just this, such this, like it was, it was almost felt like my brother was like, okay, the mood is too like me- melancholy. Yeah. It's time to up the, up the vibe. laughter is the best medicine. And you know and what? If was. you have a choice, I'd rather laugh than cry. Yeah. And I'm not going to go into the whole story. People have to read the book in Vita's well. But my sister and I had a major, major laughing fit at my mother's services. And it, it, oh my gosh. And you think the most inappropriate place yeah. to have mm-hmm. that. Yep. And we did. We just did. Yeah. And that's, that's what happens, you know? Yeah, and it it's is. okay. It's, and it's a release like anything it else. It's a release. It it's is. an emotional release. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And sometimes doing it in, you know, quote, the most inappropriate places is yes. where it's most needed. And, yes. and having yeah. that moment to, it, it, laughter is almost like pressing like a recompute button. Like you're just kind of reprocessing yeah. it and taking down because when laughter comes in a moment where most people think it's inappropriate, it's because we are overwhelmed with what we're processing in our mind because it's emotions we don't want to process. So the laughter allows us to kind of reset and think and then reprocess. And it's so interesting how that can come up. But I want to round out with one final question. This is kind of Uh a selfish question because I myself am very curious, even though I've done so much of the work, I know that the work will never end. I know that my grief will continue to come in waves and I know that I will always have bad days and good days but you experienced so much of your grief at such a young age as well mm-hmm. and now you've you've written books you have this successful career you had so many successful years in corporate and you know you're you have a husband and you, you're you're doing the 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 very adult I things. have the dogs <laughs> yes you have the dogs I would love to know how or if your grief has changed or morphed at all uh, as you've you know matured mm-hmm. and as as the mm-hmm. years have mo- grown more distant from the the moments these things right, have happened right, right well first of all you mentioned the word work i i think it's instead of saying work i think it's growth right mm. you know I love we that. we grow every single moment of every day and we we grow older we grow wiser for sure mm-hmm. and distance actually helps in this mm-hmm situation and you think oh I'll never get to a point where I can't be like completely broken down about this and I will say that sometimes you know something will trigger me Mm -hmm. and I am right back in that place but what happens over time is you can get out of it a lot quicker you can Mm -hmm. get out of it a lot quicker you don't stay in it you don't dwell in it Mm -hmm. and time does heal and then the other thing too is I think that as we get older uh, one of the most important things to to learn, or I think we learn naturally is to surrender, surrender Mm. and accept, surrender control. Uh, Part of, you know, part of the grieving process is you don't want to, you don't want to accept, you don't want to accept what's, what's happened. And I don't know um, if it was the Buddha that said, you know, the cause of all suffering in life is because you want things to be different than what they actually are. Mm, So once you get to a point of acceptance of this is, you know, this is an experience this mm-hmm. was an experience. Um, I will get through this and I'm moving on and my life, you know, you have to look at the present moment right now. So I think as you get older, you're, you're more in the present moment, which keeps you focused on what's going on right here, right now, rather than what happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And you're also more accepting and surrendering because life, you know, I use this analogy all the time in a lot of my work is, you know, and I'm sure you've heard the river analogy. It's like mm-hmm. life is like a river, you know, it's mm-hmm. just going to keep flowing and you could be stuck in the mud if you want, but that's not going to be a, a, a good yeah. place, a happy place to be. You need to be more like a twig in the river and kind of go and mm. bounce off the edges when you can and, and mm. know that it's only going to go in one direction. So if mm. you're trying to go uphill when the river only goes one direction downhill, you're going to suffer. So yeah. if you're if you stay in the past, you suffer. If you regret the past, mm. you suffer. If you worry about the past, anything to do with the past, if you stay there, you're going to suffer. You know, even if it's good times, staying in the past is not good because then you're going to compare it with what you have right Mm -hmm. now and say, oh, that was better than now. So what are you doing? You're suffering. (laughs) So I think um, as you get older, you get a better perspective Mm -hmm. of of life and you you get into a place of gratitude. I don't want to forget Mm -hmm. to mention, you know, gratitude for 
whatever experience you have, what you've learned from it and what you can give back to community and to yourself from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think that is such a, a beautiful place to end. And like I said, very, uh, a selfish ask because we're, um, approaching almost eight years for my brother somehow and, and his mm. 30th birthday is right before that. So it, it feels like a, a tougher year than normal. And just the other day I, was just rearranging a couple of things I have organized and put away. And I came across a box, a small, small box of my brother's things. And there was a note in there that had his handwriting on it. And I just Mm. totally lost lost it. it. Went right back to the grief. And like you said, it it passed much quicker. I got a hug. Yes. (laughs) Cheers stopped. And I kind of just moved on with my day. And, you know, I think something that we hear, especially if you're uh, going through uh, the loss of life grief um, for the first time, something that you'll hear so often is, you know, as time passes, it gets easier. Easier is the word that's used so, so much. And I don't think that's true. I think what you said is it it encompasses it perfectly is that as time passes, you heal. And Mm -hmm. if you are not fighting the wind against that it is true and and Mm -hmm. healing looks different for everybody grief looks different for everybody but if you're willing to accept the grief if you're willing to surrender to the grief then Mm -hmm. the healing process just kind of unfolds for you and answers come and and emotions change and I think that that's a wonderful wonderful part of grieving because like you've said in a, a perfect uh, anecdote to to really punctuate this podcast is that I have gotten so much gratitude from my grief and it, it has changed my entire life and my perspective on every single thing you could think of and I am so so grateful for that so there does come a point no matter how long it takes where you can get to a place of gratitude with your grief and and, mm-hmm. and a place of deep deep healing yeah and know that you're never going to be in that same spot exactly ever again the next moment the next day the next hour you will feel differently Mm -hmm. Uh, things will change in your life but if you stay in the spot while everything else is changing then that's not going to be helpful so you need to just keep moving on yeah 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 well thank you so much debbie this has been such a lovely (laughs) lovely conversation i'm so happy you came on Thank you. Of course. And you shared your courses uh, and you talked Mm -hmm. a little bit about them, but uh, I just want to have you reiterate those one more time because I know that they'd be such a wonderful resource for our listeners. Yeah. So everything is on my website, selfpowernow.com. So you can find all that. Uh, You can get links to all three of the books. Um, from there, if a book is, is you know, where you want to start. And the courses, uh, there are four courses, Be Happy Now, Be Healthy Now. And Be Healthy is not just about health. It's about abundance in all areas, physical. Uh, be Loved Now, who doesn't want to be loved? And Be <laughs> Zen Now, which is about reducing stress. And they're about uh, six weeks long, although you can take as long as you want. But if you do, you know, a, a lesson a week or whatnot, and they're part audio and part visual and very easy to manipulate, very easy to, and s- completely self-directed. So mm-hmm. you can just get on anytime you want and inexpensive. Yeah. So that's it. It's the Amazing. Self-Power Now series. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's definitely a great resource for our corporate people who yes. need a little bit of directive, but don't have perhaps as much time on their hands. So that's yeah. such a wonderful place to start, especially obviously always yeah. with uh, book learning as well. So yeah. And for corporations, uh, for corporate people, if there's anybody listening, um, I do offer licensing of the courses for your employees as well. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much, Debbie. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Lauren. All right, you guys. This was wonderful. As always, I love you all so, so dearly. And I will see all of you beautiful souls next week.